0: Welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud premium mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are, and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician your infant's position for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge. My opinions do not represent that of my employers. It is likely that you've heard about a child who has had RSV or respiratory syncytial virus, from a friend, a family member, or perhaps you've even had your own personal experience with it. But you may not realize how common it actually is. Did you know that almost all children get RSV at least once before they are two years old? For healthy children, it is likely to present just like a typical cold or virus. But for some children, they become very ill with RSV. Because some infants are more at risk for developing the severe symptoms of RSV, they receive a series of synergist injections during the peak RSV season. Infants born prematurely, or if they were diagnosed with bronchopulmonary dysplasia or BPD, also otherwise known as chronic lung disease or CLD, or if they have unstable congenital heart disease, are considered high-risk patients who may be eligible to receive Synergis. The typical RSV season is from November to April. Since that season is upon us, today we're going to review RSV, how it gets transmitted, what the typical symptoms are, and when parents should contact their provider. We will also take a closer look at Synergis, what exactly it is, the current inclusion criteria, so you know if your infant will be likely to receive it how often it should be given, the typical length of treatment, and signs and symptoms parents should watch for that may be indicative of an allergic reaction. It is a very informative podcast, and I know you'll learn something new. So keep listening as we review RSV in infants and children, as well as the recommendations for synergists. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by Neotech. Neotech manufactures innovative medical products developed specifically for newborns and patients in the NICU and PICU. With their goal to make a difference in the quality of treatment for infants, they also strongly consider the impact of their products on parents and clinicians. As a NICU clinician, I understand the importance of safe and effective suction equipment for infants and children, and Neotech does as well with their patented USA-made products. Neotech has a variety of suction equipment, including their Little Sucker, which is the premier suctioning device across a variety of pediatric care environments, especially in the NICU. It has a soft, flexible tip made from hypoallergenic material and comes in different size options. Or consider Neotech's Little Sucker nasal tip, which is ideal for nasal suctioning in the NICU, PICU, and beyond. The proprietary design features a specialized tip to guard against inserting too far into the nares and causing accidental trauma. Neotech also offers the Neosucker Curved, which is a softer, anatomically curved alternative to the hard plastic devices on the market, and it is perfect for older pediatric patients who are prone to biting down on the suction device. With its flexible tip, it prevents oral trauma and is designed for single-handed use with a thumb port for intermittent suctioning. Plus, all of their suctioning devices are durable, which makes them suitable for parents in a home health setting as well. Or consider Neotech's meconium aspirator for hospital-based tracheal suctioning. To learn more about Neotech and all of their products, visit neotechproducts.com or find the link in our show notes. Have you been searching for the perfect NICU journal and you've been unable to find it? At Empowering NICU Parents, We have created a comprehensive NICU journal called Our NICU Roadmap. The journal is specific for NICU infants and includes everything you've been looking for, plus more. We took all of your suggestions to heart and recently revised the journal based on your feedback as well. So it is smaller in size and will fit right into your bag, plus at a better price. The journal has everything I felt was pertinent, both as a neonatal nurse practitioner and a former NICU mother. Our NICU roadmap provides a place for you to document all of your baby's progress while they're in the NICU. It will equip you with all of the necessary tools so you can confidently become an active member of your baby's care team. We have included educational resources to help you understand the NICU journey better, including, but not limited to, a detailed glossary that covers terms and abbreviations common to the NICU, and a NICU image to help you understand equipment commonly used in the NICU. Not sure what questions to even ask the NICU care team? We have you covered. The daily log guides you with questions to ask the care team, plus adequate space to document all of the pertinent updates for your baby each day. Next, we included specific areas to document all of the details on Your Amazing Miracle, including birth stats, delivery details, weekly measurements, eye exam, and head ultrasound results. We also included a separate full journal section in the back to help you document and process all of your feelings and emotions throughout the journey. In our journal, you will find everything you need plus the finite details you have not even thought of yet. I promise you will look back on this and be amazed by your little one and all of their achievements, and it will be such a great keepsake. Go and grab your copy of our NICU roadmap now on Amazon, or if you are interested in buying in bulk at a discounted price for your hospital or organization, head to empowering nicujournal forward slash NICU journal to contact us and see additional details and images of our journal, or find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. October is actually RSV Awareness Month, and because we are now approaching the peak season, I think it's important to review RSV. Respiratory Syncytial Virus, or RSV, was initially discovered in 1956, and subsequently, has been recognized as one of the most common causes of childhood illness. It is a large, enveloped, non-segmented, negative-strand RNA paramyxovirus. So what does all that mean? Basically, it is a virus that causes respiratory illness that typically involves the nose, throat, and lungs. Now, humans are the only source of infection, and RSV is spread by respiratory secretions droplets can actually survive on environmental surfaces for hours and for a half hour or more on our hands. For children, their initial infection typically occurs during their first year of life, although reinfection throughout their lifetime is quite common. RSV is a leading cause of bronchiolitis, pneumonia, and severe lower respiratory tract disease In children less than two years of age, especially in preterm or immunocompromised infants, according to the CDC or Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, one to two out of every 100 children younger than six months of age with RSV infection may need to be hospitalized. And per GOMELA et al., RSV is associated with up to 120,000 pediatric hospitalizations each year in the United States, or 1-3% to of children, in the first 12 months of life. The hospitalization rates are highest amongst children that are less than 6 months old, at 2%, and premature infants less than a year old, at 6.4%. Children that require hospitalization may require oxygen, sometimes intubation, and or mechanical ventilation for respiratory support. Most children improve with supportive care and are discharged within a few days. But sadly for other children, the course is more severe and can actually be fatal at times. As I mentioned, the peak season for RSV is typically in the late fall and runs through the early spring months with the highest activity in February. But regional variations do exist in different parts of the country. Some communities in the southern part of the United States, like in Florida, tend to experience the earliest onset of RSV and may see cases as early as July. Following the masking and social distancing guidelines in March of 2020, In attempts to prevent the spread of the novel coronavirus, the number of RSV infections in the United States dramatically decreased. RSV cases remained low through the traditional 2020 to 2021 fall-winter season. But after those safety measures relaxed, there was a noted increase in the number of cases in the spring of 2021. The number of cases at that time were more similar to a typical fall-winter season, yet they also continued throughout the spring, summer, and fall as well during that year. The atypical interseasonal spike also correlated with an increase in emergency department visits and hospitalizations for infants and children. At that time, the American Academy of Pediatrics, or AAP, recognize the importance of flexible approaches and management of RSV, including early initiation of synergists prior to the typical fall onset. The CDC also released a health advisory at that time recommending broader RSV testing in patients who presented with acute respiratory symptoms. The CDC continues to monitor RSV activity in the United States in collaboration with state and county health departments, as well as commercial and clinical laboratories. Now, there are some risk factors that place certain infants and children at an increased risk of developing severe RSV. The main risk factors include infants less than six months of age, premature infants born prior to 35 weeks gestation, infants with underlying lung disease like BPD, infants less than two years of age with heart disease, infants with school-age siblings, infants who attend daycare, infants who have a family history of asthma, infants with regular exposure to secondhand smoke or air pollution, multiple birth babies, male children, immunocompromised patients, infants who did not receive any breast milk or those who received less than a month of breast milk, and infants who share a bedroom with others. Additionally, the risk is increased with peak RSV season immunodeficiency from fall to the end of spring, as well as high altitude. It also increases the risk of RSV hospitalizations and children with Down syndrome or those with neuromuscular disorders who have difficulty swallowing or clearing mucus are also at an increased risk for severe RSV disease. As I mentioned, RSV is transmitted by direct or close contact with contaminated secretions. The inoculation of the virus occurs in the nasopharyngeal or ocular mucus membranes after contact with the virus containing secretions the virus actually replicates in the nasopharynx and spreads then to the small bronchiolar epithelium or tissues. Next, the virus extends to the alveolar cells in the lungs. Now with RSV, symptoms typically appear two to eight days after contact. According to the CDC, people infected with RSV are usually contagious for three to eight days. Although, In very young infants, or those who have a weakened immune system, they may actually be contagious for as long as four weeks, even if they are not actively showing symptoms. As I mentioned, the virus typically begins in the nasopharynx, which results in congestion and a runny nose. Within the first two to five days, it may progress to the lower respiratory tract and progress to a cough, labored breathing, and possibly wheezing. Lethargy, or a lack of energy, irritability, and a decreased appetite with poor feeding are also commonly present in infants as well. A fever of 100.4 or higher may also be present, but it does not always occur with RSV. Apnea, or pauses in breathing, is the presenting symptom in approximately 20% of infants hospitalized with RSV. Sadly, it is the apneic episodes that may be the cause of sudden unexpected deaths. Fortunately, most children recover from RSV at home with supportive care. But, as I said, for some, their symptoms may progressively worsen. It is extremely important for parents to pay close attention and to call their child's provider if their child's breathing becomes fast, their nostrils begin to flare, they notice head bobbing with their breathing, or grunting with their breathing, wheezing or an increased work of breathing, and absolutely if they notice that their child is having apneic episodes or pauses in breathing. As a parent, if you're unsure how to identify if your child has increased work of breathing, here are some things to look for. As I previously stated, look for their head to bob up and down with their breathing. Look at your child's ribs without a shirt on and watch to see if there's any additional pulling through or underneath their ribs. Also, you can look up at their neck area and notice or see if the skin is getting pulled in with their breathing. If your child displays any of the aforementioned symptoms or they become dehydrated and have fewer than one wet diaper every eight hours, or if they are becoming apneic and have pauses in their breathing, They become gray or blue around their mouth, on their tongue, or their skin. Or if you notice significant decreases in their activity or alertness, please call your pediatrician or 911 right away. You may be wondering how the medical professionals know whether your child has RSV versus a common cold. Well, there are a couple of laboratory tests that are available to confirm an RSV infection. A rapid diagnosis is made by PCR testing of respiratory secretions. Additionally, a viral culture can be done, but it may take one to five days to get the results. Now, if your child is diagnosed with RSV and stable enough to remain at home, it is recommended to use supportive care as you would with any other cold or virus. Consider gentle suctioning as needed with the use of normal saline and a cool mist humidifier to help break up the mucus. It is important to ensure that your child remains hydrated and just know that it is likely that they will not eat as much and may feed more slowly due to their difficulty breathing. So consider suctioning your baby's nose prior to the feeding to assist with their breathing and to assist with any fevers you can give your child Tylenol, or if they are older than six months, ibuprofen is an option. If your child requires hospitalization, treatment is mostly supportive with hydration, supplemental oxygen, nasal continuous positive airway pressure, otherwise known as CPAP, or mechanical ventilation if needed. One of the main things I wanted to discuss today was some of the ways to prevent RSV. Palivizumab or Synagis is a monoclonal antibody recommended by the AAP to be administered to high-risk infants and young children. Synagis is a humanized RSV antibody that has been approved by the FDA. It is given intramuscularly in children younger than 2 years of age and helps provide passive immunity against RSV by binding the RSV envelope fusion protein on the surface of the virus and blocking critical steps in the membrane fusion process. Synagis also prevents cell-to-cell fusion of RSV-infected cells. The dose of Synergis is 15 milligrams per kilogram, and the AAP recommends five consecutive monthly doses starting in October or November and given every 28 or 30 days during the RSV season. With five consecutive doses, it provides serum levels associated with protection for six months through the length of the typical RSV season. It is very important to stay on the schedule your infant is started on. The Cineges Company has put together a really nice graph or calendar so parents can clearly see when their infant's next dose is due for both the 28-day and the 30-day dosing schedule. You can find it by going to slash synergist or SYNAGIS or find the link in our show notes. Synergist is not given to every infant, only those who are at high risk For severe RSV disease. The inclusion criteria per the AAP guidance includes infants with a gestational age less than 29 weeks who are less than 12 months of age at the onset of the RSV season, as well as preterm infants born between 29 to 35 weeks who have additional qualifying conditions. Infants with chronic lung disease of prematurity who are less than 12 months of age at the onset of the RSV season or those with CLD who are less than 24 months of age at the onset of the RSV season and still require supplemental oxygen, chronic systemic corticosteroid therapy, or diuretic therapy within six months of the RSV season onset. Infants with hemodynamically significant congenital heart disease who are less than 12 months of age and meet specific criteria at the onset of the RSV season. Any infant undergoing cardiopulmonary bypass during the RSV season who are less than 24 months of age at the onset of the RSV season. Infants with anatomic pulmonary abnormalities and neuromuscular disorders that impair the ability to clear secretions from the upper airway who are less than 12 months of age at the onset of the RSV season. Infants who will be profoundly immunocompromised during the RSV season who are less than 24 months of age at the onset of the RSV season. Infants with cystic fibrosis and clinical evidence of either chronic lung disease of prematurity or nutritional compromise who are less than 12 months of age at the onset of the RSV season. Infants with cystic fibrosis who have either chronic lung disease, nutritional compromise, and either manifestations of severe lung disease or weight for length less than the 10th percentile who are less than 24 months of age at the onset of the RSV season. For Alaska Native and other American Indian infants, a medical director consultation is required. For Alaska Native infants, their prophylaxis eligibility may differ from the remainder of the United States. And for American Indian infants, special consideration may be prudent for Navajo and White Mountain Apache infants in the first year of life. Now, it is important to remember that Synergis is not a vaccine, so it does not fully prevent or treat RSV. Children can still get severe RSV disease despite receiving Synergis, but even if your child develops an RSV infection while receiving Synergis, they should continue to receive the monthly doses throughout the RSV season to minimize their risk of getting it again. Although Synagis does help protect children from RSV, it is important to mention that there are possible side effects, including a severe rash, hives or itchy skin, swelling of the lips, tongue, throat, or face, difficult rapid or regular breathing, bluish color of the skin, lips, or under the fingernails, muscle weakness or floppiness, and or unresponsiveness. Please tell your child's healthcare provider about any side effects that your child experiences or call 911 if there's a life-threatening side effect. Also, please report suspected adverse reactions by calling 1-866-773-5274, or you can find that number in our show notes. Lastly. As we enter into RSV season, I think it's also important to review some very basic preventative measures we can all take, but that are especially important if you have a baby at risk for developing severe RSV disease. Wash your hands often and teach your children to wash their hands as well, especially if you have school-aged children. Make sure when they get home from school that they're washing their hands well before they interact with their siblings. Keep your hands away from your face. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Cover your coughs and sneezes. Clean and disinfect surfaces. Stay home when you're sick. Limit your baby's exposure to crowds and or other children. And feed your baby breast milk if you can due to all of its unique antibodies. Although there is not a vaccine for RSV, scientists are working to develop one as well as medications to help treat RSV. But, in the meantime, I think it is essential for parents of high-risk children to be aware of the risk of RSV. Ask your infant's provider if they qualify for Synergis, follow the schedule closely for their Synergis injections, and remember to take preventative measures, especially during the peak RSV season. I hope you enjoyed this review of RSV. As I mentioned, RSV is very common in children and adults, but many children do end up hospitalized due to their symptoms. So it is very important to be able to identify the severe symptoms and to know when you should be calling your child's provider. If your child has risk factors that place them at an increased risk for severe RSV disease, please ask your baby's neonatologist or pediatrician if they will qualify for synergists so, they can be more protected. If your child begins the Sinagus series, please make sure to continue to follow the schedule closely and complete all five doses so they are more protected during the peak RSV season. Prevention is key with RSV, and most of it goes back to the basics of good hand washing, covering your mouth, proper disinfecting, and especially keeping your child away from public places or other children if they are immunocompromised or have high risk factors for severe RSV disease. For the show notes, additional information, and links mentioned in the episodes, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 39. We ask that you please consider snapping a screenshot of this episode as you're listening. Share it on social media and tag us, so we can continue to educate and support even more parents and NICU clinicians. Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringNICUparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear. So make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends, bye.